0: Hey, I'm Tyler James, and this is who I am.
1: My guest today is the Comics Tribe publisher and comics launch host, Tyler James. Good morning, Tyler. How's it going, Jamie? Good. Thank you. Very good. Um, I'm glad to finally have you on the show. Um, You're very active in the world of communicating uh, ideas and creativity, so it's nice to have someone uh, that's uh, well-versed in talking about this stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah you know once you get me going i'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure you found that you know you you, you get you, you probably you had this little idea for a podcast and then uh here you are you know dozens and dozens of episodes later and, and it's still going and, and yet i i don't know if you found this but i still find that i've only just scratched the surface or, uh, just started peeling the onion in terms of wh- uh, things to talk about in this whole creative journey thing. So, uh, yeah. I'm excited to keep peeling that onion with you today. <laughs>
1: um, I was trying to remember, um, I, cause there was the uh, tears of the dragon was the fancy book that you put out. Um, but I was trying to remember there was another book. Didn't you draw a book as well? Did you do the artwork for a book very early on? And I was, yeah, I mean, I it's,
0: it's hard to say exactly, especially names and people that uh, you've been connected with and sort of informally and in, uh, uh, online. it's It's hard to always remember exactly where it was or when it was when people first came into your world. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for the first about twenty, twenty seven, twenty eight years of my creative life as a comic book creator, I was a one, one person show mm-hmm. right i was i was doing everything uh lettering art uh the the writing uh <laughs> and doing all of those individual things at uh, various levels of quality <laughs> <laughs> um and so you know one of the things that you know a, a big sort of eye opening experience for me was um with a book that i i did sort of the the last book where i tried to do well, one of the last books that I, where I tried to do everything on it was called, uh, super mm-hmm. And it was a book about uh, a super powered fertil- fertility clinic. And it actually was, was, uh, picked and, and run on a, a Zuda compet- competition. If you remember back mm-hmm. uh, to DC's, uh, web comic initiative and, and, you know, it got picked for that and it was a great experience. Um, but it was also kind of a, a harsh experience. Whereas it's like, you know, you realize, I realized then that your comic is only as good as the weakest link or the weakest part of it. And you know, I, the, I, I had a story that I, I believed in and, and a concept that resonated with, but there were some elements of my game that, you know what, if, if I had had, uh, if I'd worked with a team or if I would partnered up with, uh, other creators that were better at certain aspects of the creating process as myself, the overall product would be better. Mm -hmm. And so after sort of taking a few on the chin in terms of getting some negative comments and getting out of my protective shell of being oh you know you're you, you, you're great cuz you know my mom was my biggest fan
1: <laughs> <laughs> back in
0: the day but when you open it up to the internet that's a, a different can of worms and so one of the things i tried to do is say okay well you know let me focus on the areas that i think i'm i'm the best at and let me go try to work with people that are a little bit better at different different areas than i am and uh and do that so mm-hmm. i started working with some creators on on different projects uh I worked with uh as you mentioned Coco Ambro on Tears of the Dragon. I worked I started working with Cesar Feliciano on the Red 10. I started working with um uh, uh, I mean uh, and I started working on a number of, of different projects Matt Zollman on Epic and just just had a, had a blast sort of focusing in on on what I was doing and then letting other people on my team do do what they do uh, a little bit better. And mm-hmm. So that was kind of a part of the journey. Um and the last the last sort of book that I did that was like, that was all me was uh, actually a webcomic called over, which mm-hmm. was a, uh, which you know, was streamed for about a year and a half, uh, online. And, and so that was sort of the last, uh, last big thing that I've done. So in terms of, uh, the, the art chores on it. Um, and so most of what I've been doing has been more on the writing and even the publishing side over mm-hmm. the past several years, um, which has been, uh, a different beast, a fun beast, but, uh, <laughs> a, a whole other challenge. Um, because this is something that, you know, a lot of creators discover <laughs> that, uh, there's, there's the creating process and, and creating a great book, but an entirely different skill set when it comes to actually selling it and selling it at a profit, you know, <laughs> what's mm-hmm. that?
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I still have a print copy of over somewhere in my, in my collection. Well, awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think there are
0: only like, uh, yeah, I think there were only about a hundred of those produced. so yeah. you, you've got one of them.
1: <laughs> um, where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Massachusetts, or did you, have you just settled there?
0: I'm a I'm a transplant from uh, Albany, New York. So okay, you know, I've, I've lived in Massachusetts for uh, I think over a over a decade now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, so, so it's a little tough as a Yankees fan coming in <laughs> <laughs> in, in in Boston country, but. Yeah, I grew up in Albany, New York, um, which is you know the capital city of uh, of sort of upstate New York. Although mm-hmm. it's not really not really that upstate, but people in New York anything above Manhattan, <laughs>
1: people consider <laughs>
0: upstate. Um, but uh, but yeah, I grew up in, in Albany, um, in New York, and and uh, did my education in D.C. Uh-huh. Uh, tr- did a fair amount of traveling. Um, and uh and eventually uh came up to Massachusetts uh for grad school and um and have have stuck and got married and settled down and established a a beachfront for uh, for comics tribe here in Newburyport, mass mm.
1: and uh when when you were moving around and growing up, was comics something that you wanted to do, or did that come about later? uh
0: you know, I started drawing comics seriously uh, i mean as, as serious as you can get. <laughs> at about, uh, 11 or 12 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I'm speaking of serious, I, I remember one year getting my art table, like a, like a, what I considered a professional artists art table. Mm -hmm. And, uh, one year for Christmas when I was about 12 and, once that was in place, it was like, oh, I'm legit, man. (laughs) And, and, um, you know, I, I always think about that in terms of the power of like investing in a tool or investing in like the tools that, that, uh, that the, the pros use. It's like, like my, my productivity probably doubled or tripled just by getting that, you know, that one table, which I still have today, it's still in my room. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I started doing it. Um, young. I mean, in, in my high school years, I probably did a couple hundred pages worth of comics and multiple stories. And, and it was sort of, it was, it was kind of what I did. Hmm. I was, uh, I was a comic creator.
1: Hmm. Were you doing them for yourself or were you, were you selling them or, or putting them out <laughs> uh, in places?
0: It was mostly for myself. You know, I was, I was, um, a product, uh, an inspired, uh, I mean, I, I, I always liked, uh, superheroes growing up and my mom used to joke that, she didn't know how she was going to break it to me when i got old enough to realize that i would not be a superhero when i grew up <laughs> um, so that was a conversation like you know some people worry about the you know the talk but that was like the talk that she was worried about having with me um but um uh, but yeah i mean i you know i i was a marvel marvel kid for a while and then mm-hmm. i got swept up into the image revolution where it was sort of like uh, it dawned on me that these characters, these properties didn't just exist. They were actually created mm-hmm. and created in many cases, at least in the image cases by people that weren't much that much older than me mm-hmm. at the time. And so you know my my goal was to to go work for image um or to or to draw or to draw or to um, you know, get on one of these image books that I was reading. I think that was like my goal in 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 high school, yeah. But, um, in terms of of selling my books, uh, you know I, I, the, I printed up a couple dozen copies of my one of my first fully complete stories that I did, printed it at my dad's, uh, photocopy machine. He was like the only, had a, had a photocopy machine in his office. And, uh, and so printed up about a dozen copies and hawked them out of my, my, uh, my backpack in high school, sold mm-hmm. them for about a, a buck a piece. I think I sold nine copies and I was, <laughs> I was thrilled. Mm-hmm. And I always, you know, I call that out <laughs> to uh, to creators that are wondering like, well, you know, is Kickstarter you know like for me or is Kickstarter like w- worth doing? And I and I, one of the reasons I, I say Kickstarter is the place to start when it comes to monetizing your work, is because you know I did that in high school, right? I I sold my first comic, sold it out of my backpack, buck a pop, nine bucks, and made nine dollars. Mm-hmm. I had a, a high school kid on my podcast last year who uh, sold her first comic also, but she used Kickstarter and raised over $4,000 to do it <laughs> on her very first launch. So, you know, that's just something that was not, uh, I mean, that would be a pipe dream, I mean, <laughs> years ago. So um, it just kind of kind of shows the power of the platform and, and how, you know, in a lot of ways, we have some great tools available to us that we, uh, we shouldn't take for granted.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely feels like, uh, I, I mean, it's... I can't remember when Kickstarter launched. It feels like 2012 or around that kind of time, maybe 14, but it's definitely something that's grown as uh, as people have re- like uh, I think you've you've mentioned on your show that the the comics portion of Kickstarter is one of the most active and um successful areas on there and um and, uh, there's so, I think as a lot of people talk about how the direct market has shrunk and how it's hard to get books out, but there's all these other avenues that are available now, like Kickstarter, that, that are so much broader and, and, uh, have, have so much more reach than, than the usual method. Yeah, it's, it, it really is
0: amazing, um, to think about what kind of impact, um, the Kickstarter's had, I mean, it's had a huge impact on comics. It has a huge impact in other industries, board games. Um, you look at all of the uh, Grammy and Oscar-nominated uh, uh, films and, and, in some cases, uh, music, um, a big portion of them are, uh, are Kickstarter stuff. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing about our little fiefdom of comics on Kickstarter, which... You probably wouldn't realize if you spend a lot of time hanging around forums or uh, or uh, or Twitter hashtags where people <laughs> are tend to be uh, overly negative or are mm-hmm. poo poo and stuff. But over the past two and a half years, the success rate for comics on Kickstarter has jumped from below fifty percent to right now. Right now, we're just under fifty five percent. So that. And if you compare that to the Kickstarter overall average, Kickstarter overall average is down a couple percentage points. Mm. So so comics is this little outlier where we've sort of figured out, <laughs> our community's sort of figured out how to run successful Kickstarters, uh, at least at a at a faster rate than most other communities. Yeah. And I think that's something that to celebrate and something that I try to celebrate on the Comics Launch podcast every week, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. You mentioned, uh, comics tribe and, um, we'll go back to that a little more, but I just wanted to touch on the idea that, you know, the the idea of successful Kickstarters for comics is, uh, one of the big parts of that is actually the delivery, I think. And there's, there's, it seems like people are getting better and better at delivering. On um, I, I know very early on in Kickstarter, there was a, it was almost, uh, like a running joke of like, well, we'll see if we get this kind of mentality. But, um, mm the stuff that you've put out it especially it has been very um very the 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 delivery portion has been very professionally handled and and is a big part of it i think is this idea that like i think a lot of the stuff you do is already complete or near complete so that the the delay isn't that big and the you know you have the printer source and you have everything set up so it's that idea of having all the ducks lined up in a row and then once the Kickstarter happens, it's more, it's more of like a pre-order service than than actual, um, than the actual launch, I guess.
0: Yeah, and I think when Kickstarter, uh, you, I mean, you talked about. Kickstarter being still relatively young, yeah. I mean, Kickstarter would still be in elementary school <laughs> if, if it was a human being. You know, you, you it certainly wouldn't be driving, and uh, and you wouldn't be trusting it with uh, with the keys or leaving it home uh, for the weekend. Um, and so, uh, to to have the impact that it's had in in such a short time, but one of the interesting things that I always thought was like, you know, I I was not. Even though now, you know, I, I I've got a uh, I'm working on a project that's on Kickstarter right now. It's a the Sync project with John Lee's Alex Cormick, um, which is a, a horror horror book that we have. It's over at comicstribe.com forward slash Sync if you want to check it out. Uh, just a few more days left, but um, you know that's my 14th campaign that I've been a part of, mm-hmm. and so people might assume that you now Tyler's he was an early adopter with Kickstarter, but actually no, I I kind of sat on the sidelines for about a year and a half watching the thing, studying Kickstarter and the first four projects that I backed, that I ever backed all failed and Hmm. kind of failed miserably. (laughs) And, um, and, and that had me sort of continuing to sit on the sidelines saying, Oh, I don't want to launch and have this be a freaking dud. Um, and I was also, I had the, I think the, the false mindset that, well, Kickstarter is sort of like was sort of like this one sort of power-up or specialty card that mm-hmm. you you wanted to <laughs> hang on to. Uh, you wanted to hang on to. You wanted to keep it in your back pocket and only play it. You know when you really needed it because it wasn't something. That you could play more than once, mm-hmm. like oh, you you couldn't do this more than once. People are only going to support you for you know for, for one big thing. But if you tried to do it again, well, they're just going to roll their eyes and and be like, what's this guy? He you know he didn't really kickstart anything. But and so that that was kind of my mindset back in 2012, and that's why I waited until I had like the best thing that I could possibly bring to the platform, and, and which was the the oxymoron uh, anthology, that mm-hmm. that volume. Uh, to an anthology, their volume one anthology. And, um, and so, you know, that was very successful and, and did, you know, blew even what I had hoped for out of the water. But what I actually learned in the process was that I was totally wrong about Kickstarter potentially being like this finite resource that you could just play once. And then that, well, yeah, that was your, uh, that was your chance kid. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you made the most of it (laughs) because you don't get to do it again because I was having backers being like, Hey man, thanks for running that campaign. That was awesome. I will definitely support your next one. And I'm like, wait, my next one, (laughs) (laughs) I just finished this one. And you're asking, you're already asking about when, when you're going to launch again, when you're going to do another one. And, and so that was a mindset shift. And, and, the idea is that that kickstarter is uh, a finite resource that could be true if mm-hmm. you treat the platform like it's just there to exploit and you don't deliver on your promises and you you know use it you collect the the funds and disappear yeah it's probably going to be pretty finite for you and you do risk spoiling it for others yeah but if you're a steward of the platform if you deliver for your backers if you create a good experience well it's going to be there for you again and again and again. And it has, and, and there are people right now that buy all or most of their comics on the Kickstarter platform. There's over a million backers mm-hmm. on the Kickstarter platform, uh, with their credit cards on file. So, you know, I, I was talking to a creator the other day and you know, he, he had had, <laughs> he, he had had a couple of, uh, duds in terms of his launches, um, I think he launched once on Indiegogo and once on GoFundMe and raised like five dollars and ten dollars respectively, mm-hmm. and and he was v- very hesitant to launch a Kickstarter, having had these two sort of dud campaigns under his under his belt. And I, I said to him, "I'm like, well, so you you've had crowdfunding launches and you're throwing crowdfunding under the bus, but you already put yourself into a you know in, in, in a tough spot to, to to launch and succeed by launching on two platforms that." aren't the number one plat- crowdfunding platform for comic creators, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're also y- you did it without a plan and a, and a, and, a, and a concrete strategy. You just kind of threw it up to see what would happen. Um, so before you totally throw out the idea of doing a Kickstarter, you know, why don't you take you know to do it systematically. Go through a plan, do a pre-launch, uh, put together a page using proven blueprints and templates. Put mm-hmm. together a marketing plan. And give it, you know, and give it a, a go that way and 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 see if it doesn't, doesn't work out for you. And so now he's in the process of of doing that. But um but yeah, it's a it's a it's a a great platform. Um it's definitely helped Comics Tribe and the other brand that I managed, the CS for Cthulhu brand. It's helped take us to to new heights and mm-hmm. and reach people that we would never do. And and also, you know, there are skills that I've been able to learn that I would have never learned had it not been for, uh, Kickstarter campaigns, Hmm. things like how to, how to run Facebook ads, things like, I mean, even just being able to get into the direct market, well, you got to have money in the bank (laughs) in order to, (laughs) uh, to, to print and to, and to work on diamond cycle where, you know, you're printing books. Three four months before you all ever see a check for those books. Yeah, you know, and and Kickstarter is cash flow, and so uh, it's 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 done a lot for for us and and for comic Tribe, hmm. and that's why I continue to celebrate it as a platform because <laughs> because I I hate seeing creators just throw up their hands and saying oh Kickstarter the bubbles burst this that and it's like look at the data look at the stats where it's never been a better time for comic creators to launch Kickstarter projects. Hmm. Uh, so you know, yeah, so. I don't know. That's that's one of the things that I, I continue to, to beat the drums. But you know what? Some people are determined to find all the reasons why things won't work for them. And you know, I, I'd like to help those people, but you can't help them all.
1: Yeah. I guess. Um. Did Comics Tribe was was were you publishing your earlier stuff under that, or did that come about and and it became its own thing um, after you'd published a few books? And you you kind of you mentioned that you you know you were doing all of the the create inside you were writing and drawing and lettering and stuff. And then it slowly became more of a, almost like a editor editor in chief role that you do at comics tribe. Um, was that something that naturally happened? And as more people came to you for advice and you decided, Oh, we should just put it out under this, this umbrella or Mm -hmm. was it something that you formed as an idea to, to help people get work out?
0: Yeah, it was, a (sighs) I mean, there, there's a couple different um, aspects to the, the the story and the origin there. Um, prior to Comics Tribe, I was sort of putting out short-run comics and, and going to conventions, and, and just using sort of Tyler James Comics as mm-hmm. my you know banner and my website and. And, you know, I think there was a little bit of a (laughs) like I felt a little off about just doing that because like, oh, that doesn't look like a professional brand. (laughs) But what I've actually found is, you know, if like especially for those people that are looking to jump on Kickstarter, you're actually better off going under your own name Hmm. and being a real person than you are trying to come up with a random brand identity that no one's heard of. Yeah. Like, like, cause people have actually heard of you as who you are. So I wouldn't, if you were someone that's trying to launch a Kickstarter, I wouldn't go make up a brand new brand imprint name just so that you don't look like just a person because it, in fact, uh, you'll actually probably, probably find an easier time to have it, have a project funded when there's a person behind it, a person you can look in the eye, a person who, you know, whose life people that come on the page, they're like, Oh yeah, I, I, I can make this person's life better. Uh, mm-hmm. and the book looks cool and I'm and support it. So that that's, that's something that I think I, I, I was a little bit off on, but hmm. what ended up happening was when I transitioned from doing projects that were all sort of Tyler James comics, because Tyler James is the only one working on these comics to, uh, working on books with other creators. Well, Tyler James comics just didn't, seem like the right place, uh, the the right fit for the imprint. And so I wanted to put uh, and and so I, so as I was starting to put these um, things together, uh, I was trying to think, well, what what would the home for these be? And mm-hmm. around the same time, I'd started working with editor Stephen Forbes. He was helping me out on some projects that I had. And he, Steve had been writing a bunch of articles, uh, I believe, for over at Digital Webbing. And mm-hmm. I had been doing a bunch of art, uh, article series on comic-related. Uh, I'd done about 40 columns over there as well as some com- columns on my own blog. And you know, me and Steve really hit it off. And we had sort of a, an idea that, hey, maybe we should consolidate our efforts and put out some resources for comic creators – on the comics tribe site but in addition to putting out content let's also share the journey of building from scratch a small press imprint Mm -hmm. um and you know i had two or three titles that i was personally working on steve had a a couple titles that he was working on and we had a creator that steve brought to me uh who had a, a script that was just a dynamite script um, that really blew him away, but f- from this young writer named John Lee's, mm-hmm. and and uh, John didn't have a home for this this property called the Standard, and so he asked us if if we might uh, if, if that might be a comics tribe book, and I, I looked that up and and was like, huh, yeah, this is this is actually really good, mm-hmm. um, and, and then at around the same time, uh, I started building a relationship with Joe Mulvey who was sort of getting batted around by some other publishers who were interested but not, <laughs> not committed mm-hmm. to, to his book, Scam. And I sort of shared with him a, um, that, hey, Comics Tribe, we've got uh, you know, the Red 10 from, from me. We've got this book called The Standard from uh, John Lees. And Scam would fit nicely in sort of a, a three-book um, sort of uh, initial tip-of-the-spear for our imprint, which were all because all three books were sort of uh, superhero books with high concepts,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, sort of sort of broad uh, broad mass market high concepts, and so we're like, you know, that that makes kind of a nice little package, mm-hmm. and so and so that that's kind of where the whole Comics Tribe thing got off. We wanted to be creators that were helping creators make better comics, but we didn't want to just be sharing advice. We wanted to be also you know, using our own journey from going from no distribution, no books, like only occasionally going to conventions uh and just share whatever journey we happen. And the journey's been actually, you know, it's been really fun because we went from that to getting uh, you know, getting some uh very successful Kickstarters under our belt to going from uh having about 25 retailers around the country uh exclusively carry our books mm-hmm. to getting a diamond distribution deal, uh, and then ultimately getting into shops worldwide. Um we sort of expanded our line into children's books, and actually our most successful title of all time is a children's book called See Us for Cthulhu, which <laughs> has, has been on four printings, is now in three foreign languages, and mm-hmm. just continues to sell books every single day. Um, and and then it's just been been, been a learning process uh, ever since. And so it's been quite a journey. I wish I could say it was all exactly how we drew up, <laughs> but uh, definitely not the case. But mm. it, But it has been it has been a it has been a, a great learning experience and uh the name comics tribe wasn't chosen sort of willy nilly or at random because that was sort of a shift for me being that solo act to you know what to really take myself up a notch i need to build a tribe around the stuff that i, I want to create mm-hmm. you know and and the stuff that and i also need to take uh and get serious about the stuff other other people want to create and get excited about that. Um, and, and together we can go farther. It's like the old African proverb. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, uh, go together. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what, what we've found. And we've definitely gone farther, uh, than I think I would have,
1: uh, <laughs> I, 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 I would have drawn up. Right. As a, and and for every uh, like step along the way, is it a case of you, is it like that you see it as a natural progression or is it just like, wow, we've we've expanded to fill this area. Should we try this? And, and it just so, you know, they're, because they're, they're, it with comics, there is no natural progression. There's no singular path. It's like, it's so open that you can, you can choose to, to stay in one area or you can choose to expand, or you can choose to just aim at the top and then work your way backwards almost sometimes. But it seems like, um, with comics, tribes, stuff, you, you just said that it kind of expanded into these three, uh, books or with the, the, three core creators that, that grew out of that. And then it became a, um, Kickstarter thing. And then it became a, a diamond thing. Is it like a natural progression for you? And, and, and that's how it's worked out or is it surprising basically? <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, again, it, it would be hard to, to have drawn all this stuff up because mm-hmm. When, when Comics Tribe first, like the, the the first conversations about Comics Tribe first got going, there was no Kickstarter. right? Right. Um, and around the same time, like what it, like, and we didn't know what it actually took to get into, uh, into Diamond. Like, you know, how many books did we have to have? What kind of publishing schedule did we have to be on? Like all these questions, all these things we really didn't have the answers to. And so. Uh, I think in a lot of ways it was organic in terms of, you know, trying to figure this thing out as we're going along. Um, and at the same time, like, Everyone else, like everyone else in the industry is kind of trying to figure things out. And so, you know, some of the the Kickstarter tips that I used and and parlayed for the oxymoron campaign, well, I picked those up from Jason Brubaker and Mm -hmm. uh, from, you know, the Sullivan Sluggers campaign, you know, both positive things and some things that to avoid. Mm -hmm. Um, And and there were, you know, and with even before Diamond, um, there was... This micro distribution concept, which Sam Humphreys, uh, who you know has since gone on to write awesome stuff for Marvel and and a, a bunch of others, mm-hmm. but you know he really put his name on the map with a micro distribution campaign where he basically just got a small number of some of the most indie supportive comic cr- uh, retailers around the country to support his book, uh, uh, to to support a you know a single issue one shot and to carry that book. And that really put him on the map mm-hmm. and the, and, and he sold a lot of copies of those books just direct to retailers. And, and so we ended up doing that with scam. And then the success of that, like of that micro distribution thing where we were able to move like 500 books, um, which, you know, in the grand scheme of things, isn't that actually, I think we did over a thousand of, uh, of, of one of those titles, but, but you know, a thousand books with no diamond distribution to a handful of comic shops, that, that's pretty good. yeah And, and we were able to use that in our pitch to diamond saying, Hey, look, you know what diamond's trying to figure out. Um, and this is a, I think a, a misnomer for a lot of comic creators where they're just like, Oh, it's, you know, diamond does, hates the little guy or diamond's not, <laughs> you know, not going to be supportive of indie comics or, or whatever. It's not worth going to diamond Like all this stuff. It's like diamond's not necessarily the evil empire that everyone thinks it is. Mm-hmm. Diamond's just trying to think, can we make money on this book? And can shops make money on this book? And they have on staff either current or former retailers that will review their books and say, could this sell in shops? Yay or nay. And if it can't sell in shops, well, they'd probably know about that. <laughs> they have a better idea of, of that than, than you and I do in mm-hmm. most cases, right? Because that's all they do. Yeah. And so- what we were able to do in our diamond pitch was say, Hey, look, <laughs> here's, here are the books that we want to bring to diamond and will they sell in shops? Yes, because they already have. And here's the proof, you know, here's mm-hmm. our sales to these retailers. Here's the, here's the quotes from these retailers that we included in our pitch to diamond. And that initially gave us our, you know, got us going, but you know, I, I wouldn't have known that that was going to be a key to getting us into diamond, um, because <laughs> sort of figured, figure that out on the fly. and, and, cool thing is, is that I'm still learning stuff
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> like that. This, you know, Comic drive has been around since 2011 and I've been making comics uh, since I was 12 years old. But I mean, last year had some huge breakthrough lessons in terms of, you know, how to not just put out books that the critics are going to want and books that retailers want, but how do we position our books such that they can, that the collector's market really goes crazy for them. Mm-hmm. And that's something that really helped. Um, I mean, you know, the, the, when you can change the, the average price that you're, uh, that you're getting per sale, uh, significantly, everything changes in your, in your business. Mm-hmm. Um, and the problem so many creators I think get into, especially on the indie level is if you're basing all of your business projections, all of your, everything around the $4 price point for a single issue floppy comic or even the $15 price point for a, for a trade, you're (laughs) going to struggle. Like the math just doesn't work for us guys. Uh, if that's the only thing you're offering the market. And so, um, but the good news is that doesn't have to be the only thing you offer the market. And when you can get a little creative about that, uh, you can all of a sudden everything becomes a little bit easier. Mm. And so, so yeah, so that's uh, that's uh, again things that that we learned, and I continue to learn lessons with, with every book we launch, every Kickstarter we launch, and I continue to test new stuff out.
1: <laughs> yeah, we we um, I think we uh, I can't remember who else was in it, but there was a, a discussion going on 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 Twitter last week maybe uh, about that and about the idea of like um, special edition books and and um, you know limited edition things, and I think Kickstarter really. Uh, that there's that Make One Hundred um, uh, project that they do. I think they're going to start doing it annually, um, and it's such a, a simple idea. And I, I, I found that it was very effective at, at, at creating this idea that there was, you know, it, it really highlights the uniqueness of something that you're putting out. That you can put out this limited run of something, and and people will get interested and excited in it just because of that fact. And then, like. It's it's a backdoor into them finding your work almost.
0: Oh, definitely. And I, you know, one of the biggest pieces of advice and something that uh, that I needed to learn myself, and is that y- you as the creator or or more importantly as the creative business person, if you are making all of your business decisions based on what you would do. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to make some awful decisions (laughs) unless you are your perfect customer, Mm -hmm. and I say this because I'll tell you straight up, I am not my my perfect customer. Right, I am fine with waiting for the trade. I'm fine with reading digi- uh, a, a cheap version digitally when it comes out uh, and it goes on discount versus uh, getting the, uh, the the print edition. In mm-hmm. fact, my wife prefers it when I when I don't bring home <laughs> more books because we got bookshelves. Our bookshelves have bookshelves on them. Right, um, and I don't hunt uh, expensive rare variants. I don't go out and buy prints. I don't go b- out. I'm not a big, uh, you know, uh, sketch cover collector. Like I am not my ideal customer, mm-hmm. but my ideal customer is out there. And, you know, I, and we have a, a little comics tribe insiders, Facebook group that we've set up where we try to connect some of our biggest customers and our, uh, our, our creators and show them some behind the scenes stuff. And some of the, some of the, the fans in there are, are, you know, they love, one of the things they love is just, you know, let's, let me grab all my comics tribe stuff or all my sync stuff or all my oxymoron stuff. And, and, and I'll show a picture of my display Mm -hmm. and you've got these, these same, uh, these, uh, customers that they, they don't buy just one copy of the issue. They buy every cover that's available, whether it's a $4 cover that they got from their pull list or a $50 variant that they had to buy off eBay. Cause there were only a hundred of those of those available. Mm. And then they're tracking down our creators at conventions and they're getting the signed books and they're getting prints and they're buying new stuff and they're buying multiple copies and they're sending them to their friends. Like that's my perfect customer. And so the more we can make Our decisions based on (laughs) what that person might want, uh, the better off we're going to be from a business standpoint. Like we got to get out of this mentality at least like, at least from the, um, and this is, I think part of the conversation we had, like at least from the publishing slash business side, like there's this whole other creative side where if you're a writer and Mm -hmm. all you want to do is write. And you just want to write, right, right. And and the only thing and that as soon as you're you're done with the creation process, that's where things wanna end. Like that's fine, that's awesome. But somebody has to be, if if the goal is to make this a sustainable creative business, well, if it's not you, you gotta have somebody that's obsessed with the other stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. So because if nobody's obsessed with the other stuff, then you know you're you're gonna get the results that you get but it, it may not be the results that, that you're looking for. And so, um, and so, yeah, so these are just some of the things that, that I play with and, and you know, with the comics launch podcast and now the comics launch pro, uh, community that I've built, it's really trying to fill in those other gaps because I think there's tremendous resources out there for creators that want to make better comics um where the gap that i'm trying to fill is okay you've got to create a great comic now what mm-hmm. right and how, how do you actually take that and and build a sustainable business around the great thing that mm-hmm. you've created because again it goes back to like what it takes to make mm-hmm. a great comic is a different skill set than it takes to to sell it and and build a a business around it
1: yeah is there a um was there a sense that you you remember having where like this, all of this information um, has been around but it's been really hard to tap into and you want it to be more open? Or, or is it just do you think that things have changed now and there is more openness in, in sharing this information because there are so many uh, people connecting in different ways that they can say, look, I'm having trouble understanding this aspect of it and people can step in easier. Or, yeah. So, the, so I mean, there was definitely a, there was definitely a time
0: when this information was simply not out there. Mm. Right. And I mean, the most, one of the most read uh, blog posts on the Comics Tribe site and still is to this day is an article I wrote, I mean, four or five years ago on barcodes for mm-hmm. comics. <laughs> And I can't tell you how I, I haven't been at a convention <laughs> in the past uh, I haven't been at a convention in the past couple of years and not had somebody usually it's like the 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 wife or the significant other of an artist or comic creator who comes up to me and is like thank you for that article on barcodes because <laughs> I, my uh, my my husband or my my significant other uh, asked me to figure this out. And I combed the internet, and yours was the only thing that I had that, that could make sense on on what I was supposed to do for barcodes and ISBNs and and just and just getting you know getting the way around it. And so there was um, there was definitely uh, a dearth of some of that information out there. Um, and, and so I definitely think, especially early on, we started filling some gaps with Comics Tribe and and and, and the Comics launch. Now I think we're sort of in the um, in the area where there's, there's no shortage of information out there. Mm -hmm. But the problem is so many creators treat, you know, information collection, like drinking out of a fire hose where (laughs) you just want to drink, but there's so much out there and and everything contradicts itself. And, and it's not the, it's not the lack of information out there. It's who's curating this Mm -hmm. and what's the right path for me. And so what I've, actually realized and and what I've tried to do with the content that I've created create is that, you know, 80 to 90% of the stuff that I put out on the comics launch podcast or or, or 80 to to 90% of the stuff that I create, I I give away entirely for free on the Mm -hmm. comics launch podcast. But if you want the step by step, if you want the system, if you want some extra coaching and some extra help, and if you want a community that's built around it, I've actually created another level, which is sort of the comics launch community and, and the courses that we create over there. Um, that is sort of a pretty premium product. It's got a premium price associated with it. And I've put that out there. And, um, and what I found is that that's, that there's a significant number of people that actually want that because mm-hmm. it's not that there's this information isn't out there, but it's like, how do how, who's sifting through it? What's the, the the quickest way to go through it? How is it organized? And as someone with an education background, you know, I've got a master's in education, I've got uh, a teaching experience for for many of years, and and I've uh, also you know, did training in technology and education, like that that step by step system and that community around that and coaching around that um, is is what there definitely was a lack of and what comics launch is trying to fill in as well. Mm. Because, um, and what I've actually found is, and, and it it took a while for me to get okay with charging for some of that stuff. Right. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, because there's so much free stuff out there and people might think, well, there's so much free stuff out there. Like who are you to, who are you to charge (laughs) me to teach me how to run a Kickstarter? I can run it myself and I do it not just so that I can keep doing it and support it and support the infrastructure that I've built up around this stuff. But what I've actually found, and I've also found this in my own, my own life, and you've probably found this as well, is like, there's a transformation that happens at the point of a transaction where people change through the process of buying it. Mm -hmm. You go from, huh, maybe I should learn that to, all right, I'm investing in myself, and my future by, and putting real money down, real money on the line. And so I'm going to actually go through this system and learn it the right way systematically. Because how many times, you know, have you seen a, a, an awesome blog post that you'd love to read and just bookmarked it and then you don't read it. You had no skin in the game. How many, how many free comics have you downloaded? you've, that is just in a digital to read pile, right? (laughs) You compare that to a comic, like, like, I mean, even, even Kickstarters, like you'll throw $5 down and sometimes you won't, we'll never read the the comics that people, people back. Mm -hmm. But if you go in at a higher level, if you commit, um, at at a, at a higher level, if you invest in people and, and in creators, you're more likely to actually read that thing and get the value that you were looking at it for. From the first part. So, um, you know, there's a different, there's a reason why you can go to Harvard and spend, you know, 50,000, $60,000, uh, on your education, um, and, and use all the same books that you would go to your local library and take out for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a difference between education, community, uh, having the resources, having that stuff and, and actually just having the content. Um, there's no shortage of content, but there's a, a, a real dearth of, tr- and community, I think. And and so just getting that mix right is, uh, is what I've been working on over the past couple of years.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, it, it, I mean, Comics Tribe sounds like a full-time job, but you still have a, a day job, right? Or is it now your actually, day job?
0: Actually, no. Yeah. I, I've, uh, for about, a, for over a year now, I've been, uh, I've been full-time, uh, Comics Tribe. Oh, nice. So, so yeah, uh, it's been uh, definitely an adjustment, and actually, uh, I'm planning on Comics Launch 150, uh, talking about um, <laughs> talking about that and talking about what it's like to sort of create your own dream job <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and the the ups and downs of that. And uh, you know, prior, I mean, and it was it was weird because like prior to. Uh, or, or a few years ago, even before I had gone full-time comic strip, I, I essentially had my own dream job and I, I was doing exactly the kind of thing that I said I wanted to do when I was like 14 years old. I was making video games and I was making comic books and, mm-hmm. and that was sort of my, uh, my existence. And so it's, it's pretty cool. But now I'm, I'm, I'm making comics, uh, and graphic novels and, uh, education products for creators, uh, who are looking to do this stuff. Um, and I'm my own boss as well. So that's kind of fun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> is there a, uh, like it, you, you've, you've, I think you go to New York comic con every year for the last at least four years, right? There might be more than that, but is there, yeah, is there yeah. a convention area that you, you've stuck to, or is there like plans on expanding into that? Do you still see conventions as a, as a, a useful way of getting this stuff out or
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I've definitely taken a back, or I've definitely reduced my convention load. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, over the past couple of years, you know, early, prior to Kickstarter, I was probably doing eight, nine, 10 uh, conventions a year. Mm -hmm. Um, And then with Kickstarter, we were able to cut back a little bit. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But then even the past couple of years, I've done even less. Um, and, And part of that is just you know, conventions is a bit of a, bit of a young man's game in terms of, you know, if, the, like, like it used to be, but by the end of the, uh, by the end of the weekend, you know, you're feeling it every, you're feeling it everywhere and your legs and everything. And, and I, you know, the last couple of conventions I've gone to, I'm like, crap, it's day one. And I'm already, I'm
1: already freaking,
0: you know, got the the joints of a 70 of a year old man. And then, and then I look over and you, and you got 90 year old Stan Lee walking down the aisle at, at a brisk pace <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, Stan. I don't even want to. Uh, I feel worse than you. Um, so yeah, so uh, definitely cut back a little bit on conventions, but I just I do still think they have a have a uh, a price or, or, or a place to play, mm-hmm. and and are a part of it. And so yeah, we'll be back at New York Comic Con. But um, I mean, last year, one of the things that I was able to do, which I was pretty excited about, was we. Um, I ran, uh, we had a, a, a very successful New York Comic-Con and then we did a New York Comic-Con after party as sort of like an online promotion hmm. and we raised about 77% of our record setting <laughs> New York Comic-Con haul after the convention was over online hmm. in an online sales. Oh wow! And, and so, <laughs> um, that was actually a, a lot of fun cause it was like an idea that i I'd, i wanted to do and, and put it together and, and put together that plan. And um, actually, you know, I've got that whole, the whole plan, everything that we did to make that work inside of uh, my Beyond Kickstarter program inside of Comics Launch Pro. So Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of a cool little, uh, little thing. And and I will definitely be looking to uh, improve on what we did last year with a, another after party this year. And, and so that was, uh, it, it, you know, conventions are not getting any cheaper. So part of the, one of the things that you have to do is you got to be a little bit more savvy about what you do to make them, um, have a return for you. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was one way by doing the, the post campaign after party sale, uh, was another way to, uh, to really, hope, help make those conventions more profitable. Um, because again, I mean, I, you know, I just cut a huge check to New York comic con for our table space, Mm. but, but in terms of where we were at New York, um, yeah, I mean, we started, I mean, the first time I went to New York comic con, I was just walking around with a pro badge, um, and, uh, not even sure that I deserved it. (laughs) Hoping nobody, (laughs) hoping nobody in the, in the crowds of 70,000 at the time would, would, would find me out as an imposter. But uh, but then we we plunked down and we got a, a table in small press and we had that for a few years mm-hmm. and then we upgraded to the main show floor uh, and have been there for a past couple of years um, with some of the other um, you know in, in around the other small and mid tier publishers mm-hmm. so uh, that's probably where we'll stay for a while uh, it's, it'll still be. We'll probably need one of the one of the uh, our books to become a big media property before we start throwing down like uh, Bobby Kirkman and, and getting the <laughs> banners and all that other stuff. But um, yeah, I mean it's 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 been a nice nice growth there.
1: Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you see when when you're at a convention? Are there things that you see that you think that would work better off the convention, but in you know there's a there's a place for that, and it's not here or are there things that you see that you think, ah, oh, I, I should be implementing that idea into what I do or, or is it just so focused on, on you being there at that stage?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I'm always looking for ideas and, and we actually, you know, one idea that worked a lot better than I even thought it w- was going to work for us that, uh, anyone listening to this is free to steal, but is the concept <laughs> of, of, uh, of, blind boxes so that, uh-huh. that that that's sort of one of the for those people that have been doing conventions like these these big blind boxes full of stuff. <laughs> and it's almost like point is you don't know what's in the damn thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's in a, and it's in a cool box. Um, and uh, and people, you know, people are buying these things. They're dropping 50, 60, some cases, 100 bucks for these blind boxes where they have a rough idea of what's inside. But they're not. But the mystery is part of the fun. And so at New York Comic Con last year, and for the past couple of uh, sales that we've we've done over at Comics Tribe in our online shop, we've put up a Comics Tribe mystery black box, and it literally is a black box <laughs> with a, a label stuck on the on the front, and we fill it up with about a hundred dollars worth of uh, of random material, and we sell it at a little bit of a discount. Um but in in much much most of these cases, this is backlist stuff. A lot of it some of it is original art, some of it is is prints and and swag from past conventions. Mm-hmm. Um and so you know, stuff that might otherwise be just kicking around. Um, hey, we're 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 putting them up for sale and and people are grabbing them at conventions and online. And so um yeah, I mean that that was something that I I was not uh, not sure it was going to work. In fact, was a little dubious that it was just going to be a waste of table space. Mm-hmm. but turns out you know I mean and and then when I think about it, it goes back to the old you know garbage pail kids or, or baseball card model, right where yeah. you know you just keep buying these things and looking for that one thing that you're missing and, and hoping that you get it and uh, and at the same time, in a lot of cases, the people that are buying these are, are fans of the company or fans of their work mm-hmm. And so, um, so one of the things we just actually added to the sync campaign, um, was a mystery bundle for syncs one through five single issues. So over the course of the first five issues of sync, um, every issue had at least three covers. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of those covers were very limited. Um, and some of those cover- covers were just like the direct market cover was 50, 50, uh, allocated to shops. Um, and so we've got some leftover stock of single issues. And so what we're doing is I, I custom printing poly bags, mm-hmm. uh, and it has one copy of each issue of sync, but I'm not telling you which cover you're getting for each issue. And we're going to slip some of the, some of the rare variants in there, the variants that we'll, we'll charge, uh, that, that, that go for 10, 20, 30, 50, $70. <laughs> we'll, we'll slip a few of those in there and some of the packages mm-hmm. and, you know, we've already probably just uh, had a bunch of had a bunch of add on sales and th- those are selling very, very well as well. So, you know, part of it is is putting um, putting new spins and new packaging on existing product is uh, I mean, it's definitely not a new trick, but mm. it's it's something that I think a lot of comic creators uh, just don't think to do mm-hmm. that. Um, we've been having a lot of success with.
1: Yeah is uh the red 10 is that the the only book you're writing at the moment or are you do you still have a finger yeah, on so re- that?
0: Yeah, so the red 10 is actually complete um in oh. terms of all all 10 issues are done. Okay. Um, Caesar's working uh, and yeah, it, all, all 10 issues of the red 10 are complete. Uh, issue 10 came out earlier this year. Um, oh, okay. and so long away to completion, we have not, <laughs> we have not yet collected the second volume in a trade and what I'm actually trying to do and probably will probably do because the, the there are very few copies of the first of, uh, the first printing of volume one. Mm-hmm. And so rather than go back to press on, on another print run of volume one and then another print run of volume two, um, we'll do an ultimate collection Mm -hmm. that uh, collects all 10 issues plus the zero issue. Plus Caesar uh, is actually working on a, uh, a, an after the credits scene. Um,
1: Mm -hmm. This is something that we like, (laughs) we like to
0: do for the comic strive hardcovers. You may, may or may not have noticed if you picked up any, but like I like to, you know, we we have the main series, everything from the main series, and then you get your back matter and your pinup gallery and your everything else. And then a bunch of our books will end with, Uh, a few pages of actual comic uh, scene that was not in any single issue version um, in the hardcover collection and so I've got just a, a killer ending for uh for the red 10 above and beyond the ending that was in the um in the, uh, the, the single issues. So it's just a, another little bonus reason for people to check out the Omnibus when we finally do get that collected and, and we'll launch a Kickstarter for that. And I've got some specialty things that I want to do, you know, some fancy things that I want to do on the cover to just make it just like the true collection that this project that worked, I spent about eight years, eight, eight nine years of my life working <laughs> on and so much of Caesar's time and, and energy on as well. And, you know, um, everybody else that participated in that, uh, CP Wilson on. On covers um you know miguel uh on color on color and uh just everybody else Stephen mm. forbes uh steve Colley on editing you know big team a lot of people had their finger in the uh in the red 10 um so yeah so not writing the red 10 i'm actually not writing any comic scripts right now i've got a couple projects that i'm sort of noodling around on mm-hmm. that um I, I, am I'm, I'm going to do, and I, I've got the second volume of an oxymoron anthology that ha- is, you know, about 70% of the way done, um, that we'll be dropping. I've got a new oxymoron mini series that I want to drop. So there's a lot of stuff that I've, I have going, um, on. It's just, it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it's a bandwidth thing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, you know, here's one of the things for those of you out there who, you know, maybe you're working your day job and maybe you're, you're sort of doing nine to five at your day job and, and five to nine at, um, at, uh, on your creative projects. And your goal is to get to the point where you're a hundred percent working on your own projects. You probably think that it'll just be easy to double or maybe even more your output. Um, when you're, calling all your own shots and doing it, doing things all your own. I know I definitely thought that was going to be the case. And, and in some cases, you know, I mean, in some ways, like, like, I mean, we almost doubled our revenue from, uh, the year that, uh, or last year compared to the year before when I was working half time, mm-hmm. uh, or when I was working part time. Uh, but what I found at least creatively is like, there's only so much, cre- there's only so much creative, uh, juice that you have in the tank. Mm. Right. And so, you know, and so much of what we do as like creative entrepreneurs, it, it, it sucks up a lot of that. So if you've got a day job that you're sort of coasting on or isn't super time, it, like it, it's taking up your time, but it's not necessarily using up all your mental energy and and, and where you really come alive it is when, you know, you get home and, and you, you, you put the kids to bed and now you've got four hours to just crank. Well, don't just automatically assume that if you got rid of the day job, you would have 16 hours of unbridled <laughs> creativity because I found that that tank, it goes down and it's like, and I'll, I'll get to three o'clock, four o'clock. And I'm just like, I am spent mentally. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, you know, but that, but, but, but part of what I have had to do is now realize that, um, the more I can, build a team, the more I can, uh, have other people around me that are taking things off my plate and doing an awesome job at those so that I can focus on the big picture stuff. The more everybody wins, the more we get to create the, the, the bigger the pie is. And so I am, you know, perpetually, and I'm not great at it, but I'm perpetually looking for more things to take off my plate Mm. so that I can focus on the things that, that truly matter. And so, you know, I've, if if you haven't if you are working by yourself and you haven't hired a, at least a, a part-time assistant um, to take a few things off your plate, um, th- it's going to change your it's going to change your world. I mean, like I've got I've got a couple assistants that help me with a, a, a few different things, um, and uh, and man, I mean every investment there pays for itself and then some. <laughs> And so, you know, whether it's editing your podcast or uh, having someone that's uh, following up on social media for you or someone that uh, is, is doing video editing or, or, you know, even like I just reached out to a creator today about doing some pre-press stuff. Now, I could spend three or four hours getting this book ready for print, mm-hmm. um, but my time is much better spent on, uh, on, you know, maximizing the, uh, opportunity, the limited opportunity that we have to really take this Kickstarter from close to 20,000 to 30,000, 35,000, wherever we we want to end it. Like if I'm spending my time doing pre stuff, that's not time that's, that's moving the needle. And, and there are better ways for me to, to put my time. So that's a, that's a big part of what I've been trying to do. It's like, F- for the business that I'm trying to create, am I spending my time on activities that will create that business? And if the answer is no, then I need to find someone that can do that stuff because the stuff still needs to get done. It just doesn't all need to be get done by me or, or by you for, for what you guys are creating. So when I look at create, when I look at like awesome color artists that are still flatting their own work, mm-hmm. it's like, why are you doing that? Or <laughs> or or letterers. I mean, if like if you're a letterer and you make fifteen dollars a page. You could hire someone for four dollars an hour to do all of the stuff <laughs> to uh, li- like to do all of the stuff that you do um, so almost automatically um, to get ready to do your lettering, and and you would be so much more productive. By having someone that like does all the stuff that that doesn't have to be done by the letter, like and 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 that just goes for everything. Like even even writers, like um, there are writers with projects out there that are spending um, time a, a whole bunch of time doing research on stuff, right? And and are researching, 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 where you could actually hire someone for for very little money to <laughs> like do some of that research for you, so that you're you're you know a little bit further down the line, and you can spend most of the time where you loved uh, on the things that you love to do, like writing and where the things that only you can do. And so that's something that I've been trying to, you know, I've been preaching it and I've been trying to practice that as well.
1: Mm. Um, wh- what do you want to plug? Do you want to uh, talk about the, the comics tribe website and the comics launch stuff? Or is there, is there something uh, you, yeah, you, you I mean, mentioned. Go ahead.
0: So, well, I mean, at first, I guess it depends when this is going to air, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, <laughs> um, I'd love for, for anybody that is a fan of crime and horror to just go over to sync.comicstribe.com and get a free copy of Sync Number One and read it and have it terrify you, and then come and uh, check out the Kickstarter um, if it's still uh, live. And if it's not still live, jump in and and just buy the series, uh, pre-order the series, and and get the trade or or add it at uh, your pull list at your local comic shop. And then if you are a creator who is interested in Kickstarter or you maybe you've had some Kickstarter, uh, campaigns that have been successful or less successful and you want to get, uh, just here's some new strategies, some new tactics, some things that are, that are working for comic creators on Kickstarter right now. I'd encourage you to go check out my uh, Kickstarter, uh, strategy guide. It's uh, seven strategies that are working for creators right now. You can get that over at comicslaunch.com. That's C O M I X Launch forward slash guide. And that'll give you seven strategies that are working for comic creators right now on Kickstarter. And I've actually got a, an updated 2018 guide that'll be out later this year with uh, eight new strategies that creators are using on Kickstarter. <laughs> so I, I try to keep my finger on the pulse, Jamie. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so I'm also look. you know, if, if you see a strategy that's working or if you, you have something that works, uh, works for you, definitely, uh, share it. Cause I'm always looking for, for ideas and, and creators to, to really shine a spotlight on cause so many people in our community are doing awesome work. Mm-hmm. So those are two things that I do. And then if you are a podcast listener, the last thing I'd do is just encourage you to uh, just go to uh, add Comics Launch to your uh, your pull list or your, your digital pull list or your uh, and subscribe to Comics Launch. And, uh, and hear more about this kind of stuff that uh, creators are using to take their careers to the next level.
1: Mm. Tyler, thank you so much for, for talking with me this morning. No problem, Jamie. Thanks for
0: having me on. It was a great conversation. Thank you.
1: That's it for the show. We'll be back in two weeks. You can find us online at whoiampodcast.com and contact us by email at gmail.com or by phone at 818-308-4066. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, there is a submissions form on the site. We're also on iTunes where you can leave a rating if you feel inclined. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jamie Gamble, and this was This Is Who I Am.